Russian offensive towards Izium and north of Severodonetsk. Russian forces appear to have cleared Ukrainian troops from the eastern bank of the Donetsk River near Stary Saltiv, where they had crossed over last month, or at the very least pushed them back to just where the bridge and dam crossing is. The presence of very heavy artillery strikes on the western bank, the Ukrainian-held bank, certainly, of the river further indicates the troops may have been pushed to withdraw uh, and they're not able to complete their goal to try and drive towards these Russian supply lines. Moving further south to Izium, point four, Russian forces have not taken major action towards Slovyansk, while they have escalated the volume of rocket artillery fire in order to push yet again towards Slovyansk. Said it yesterday, but bears repeating because they're doing the same thing every day. Um, Russian forces again attempted attacks at Dolny and Borodyshen, two small towns along the MO3 highway towards Slovyansk. This attack was repelled, and some dozen Russian soldiers were actually captured today. The frontier follows a distressing pattern, uh, at least for Russians. Russia prepares for a number of days. They fire a bunch of artillery towards Ukraine positions. Then they try ground assault, which is repelled, rinse and repeat. Russian forces have, however, brought at least two tank units into Izium, along with some of their heavy thermobaric TOS-1. Uh, these are those large... Uh, blasts that you've seen in some of the videos most recently. It's unclear if this will change anything on a massive scale. And a Russian gunship, a K-52, one of their most modern ones, was shot down somewhere near Izium today by a shoulder launch missile. Across the river to Liman, there's been really no change. Russian forces continue to consolidate for possible operations across the river, but it doesn't look like they're going to pull the trigger on that anytime soon. Further east, towards Severodonetsk and Lysychansk at point five, Fighting continues in the urban residential areas of Severodonetsk, where Russian forces have established round-the-clock aerial surveillance via UAVs and other methods. Fierce artillery duels continue. Generally, uh, when the Russians fire into the city, there's counter-battery fire waiting for them out of Lysychansk and uh, vice versa. Russian forces are within tube artillery range of southern Lysychansk from the Usnivka breakthrough that has made some serious gains for the complicating matters. The local Ukrainian government stated that Ukrainian forces may be forced to retreat from Lysychansk or Severodonetsk in order to avoid encirclement threatened by the latest breakthrough from the south by Russian forces. Additionally, it was stated that Ukraine defenses in the western industrial district of Severodonetsk have been destroyed in large numbers, and Ukraine troops may either withdraw across the river or just a little bit further west to more defensible positions. It's important to reiterate that the goal for Severodonetsk especially was to degrade Russian forces and buy time for heavier weaponry to arrive, not to necessarily retake the whole city. The Russians had deployed essentially all readily available reserves into the Severodonetsk operation. Some footage has emerged today of how Ukraine forces are able to get across the river despite the bridges being blown. Confirm, it's legit footage, but I'd really rather not discuss the ways and means that Ukraine is still getting across the river. And frankly, it's kind of silly that somebody actually posted that video online. Moving towards Lysychansk, we are seeing increased usage of Wagner Group PMCs and Rosgardia National Guard troops in the urban combat, further indicating the heavy degradation of Russian mainline forces in the region. Uh, generally, you don't send in the National Guard and mercenaries if you still have your army able to behave capably. Russia has also deployed another one of those S-300 version 4 anti-air batteries with the apparent attempt to further control the airspace and limit Ukrainian drones and aircraft around Severodonetsk. There has been a marked lack of Ukrainian Bayraktar drone missions in recent days and weeks, possibly spurred on by increased electronic warfare and highly capable AA systems deployed on Russian behalf. Moving across the river into Lysychansk, Russian sources claim to have entered into the southern industrial district, 
but this remains very unconfirmed. The Ukrainian general staff stated that the advance was stopped on the southern outskirts of Lysychansk and provided some photos of destroyed Russian equipment as proof. The UK intel services confirmed that Russian troops are at least within five kilometers of Lysychansk and thus able to menace Ukrainian troops' artillery and supply lines via artillery without having to commit to a large-scale river crossing uphill. As long as we're here, we'll move a little bit further south towards Popaz and Bakhmut, where the Russian forces have continued to advance towards Lysychansk from the Tashkika ustanivka breakthrough of a couple days ago. Uh, Ukraine troops withdrew from Zolotynhorsk in order to avoid encirclement. Thankfully, that it was a measured withdrawal, even though casualties were taken, unfortunately. Russian troops have reportedly brought one more battalion tactical group from the Central Military District, the area around Moscow, in order to try and continue to punch forward. Russian troops have successfully captured areas along the front lines in the town of Mikhailivka and have deployed artillery and airstrikes to attack further west towards Bakhmut. Currently, it appears the Ukrainian forces fully withdrew from the southern positions, and Ukrainian forces currently hold a band of territory ranging from Berestov, which lies along the highway, to the town of Vojhorovivka. I'm sure I butchered that. And then finally, over towards Bilohora and the outskirts of Lysychansk. In general, Russian forces appear to have forced Ukrainians to withdraw about 5 to 10 kilometers back across the entire front in order to return to second-level battle lines and consolidate their positions. And then the highway from Bakhmut to Lysychansk is generally impassable per the Ukrainian government uh, because of long-range artillery fire from Russian troops. Moving further south to Donetsk, uh, point six, the intensity of Russian shelling persists along the front line, with Russian forces again attempting a push towards the coal power plant at Olaherskaya. It's unclear. The last attack was repelled. This attack was reportedly repelled, but apparently the situation continues to deteriorate. Overall, though, the Russian offensive out Donetsk city has not been making the significant progress that Russia has been looking for. Uh, so we will have to keep an eye there and see, especially with the increased prioritization of Russian units further north towards Lysychansk and Severodonetsk, if Russia continues to try and throw troops along this line. Moving further south to Mariupol, Russian forces are moving large columns of military equipment from Mariupol further west, the towns of Boryansk and Poloy likely to reinforce positions in Zaporizhia to defend against prospective Ukrainian counterattacks, as well as increased partisan activity. Otherwise, without getting into the details, the uh, humanitarian situation in Mariupol remains dire. There's a lack of medical equipment. There's dead bodies rotting in the streets. And there continues to be rumors of uh, gross human rights violations. In Zaporizhia, and to point eight, Russian forces continue to leverage artillery and long-range rocket fire, but have not attempted any offensive actions for several days and weeks now. It appears that Russia does not have the experienced forces and equipment to sustain these large operations. They have started firing more of their long-range rocket artillery against civilian infrastructure. There is also an unconfirmed video of a Russian soldier in a Russian-occupied territory, well behind the front lines, just casually firing RPGs into the window of civilian dwellings for no apparent reason. There are unspecified reports of a battle south of Vuladar, where Ukraine forces are attempting to push towards Yeharivka. This is very generally in the direction of Mariupol and Volnovaka, and also very generally in the vicinity of the large prisoner of war camp where the 2450 uh, Ukrainian troops from Azovstal are currently being held. In Kherson, at point nine, Russian forces continue to fight by counter-battery fire, but they have they just haven't been able to bring together enough troops for a counteroffensive or to launch assaults with the forces that are already sitting there at the front line. 
A Russian special forces unit attempted to break into the rear of Ukrainian positions, but they were intercepted and killed. Ukrainian aviation launched five airstrikes, eliminating 44 Russian soldiers, two artillery guns, and several armored vehicles, as well as a command and control center. Russian forces attempted to deploy additional artillery systems to menace Mikolaivka, the city to the northwest of Kherson, but they were tracked and met with counter-battery fire. In Kherson, where, quote, passportization is going on, they're trying to force local citizens to switch over their Ukrainian passports to a Russian passport to say, hey, these are now Ukrainian or Russian citizens. Uh, it's been so ineffective that the occupying authorities are actually forcibly making prisoners in the jail there uh, take them. So that way they can report back to Moscow that, oh, we had 300 people who are happily members of the Russian Federation today. There is also a very much a simmering uh, partisan, I would go as far as to call it a, a partisan operation that's bridging onto insurgency, uh, especially as the Ukrainian troops come closer and closer into the city. In Odessa and the Black Sea, there's reportedly four missile ships equipped with about 40 caliber long-range cruise missiles, as well as three troop transports. The threats of sea mines drifting after recent storms continue, and in general, the rough seas have hampered Russian naval movements. Russian forces are reportedly deploying a detachment of air defense and rocket, long-range rocket artillery units, as well as a ship and special forces of Snake Island in response to the recent Ukrainian strikes directly against the island. In general, outside of Ukraine, today at the EU summit, 27 member states voted to give Ukraine and Moldova candidates to ask for EU membership. Uh, specifically, the Ukrainian government went out of their way to thank uh, the French president um, to say that he was instrumental in wrangling some of the votes. And the United States is announcing an additional $450 million military aid including four more of the long-range HIMARS systems, tens of thousands of ammunition for the artillery guns currently in place, as well as patrol ships to protect the Ukrainian coast and waterways. Since the beginning of the invasion, the United States has provided Ukraine with $6.1 billion in defense assistance. Looking forward, Russian forces will likely try and push through Severodonetsk, especially as Ukraine forces are increasingly focused on this Russian offensive from the south towards Lysychansk. It remains unclear exactly what the protocols are. The real bellwether here is going to be the troops to the southeast of Severodonetsk on the eastern side of the river. I would be astonished if we don't see them pull back in advance before we see any mass evacuation of Severodonetsk proper. South of Lysychansk, we're going to likely continue to see Ukrainian forces consolidate along defensive lines that they've set up. Um, the defense, the general lines of contact have shrunk, which is both good and bad, bad in that it's easier for Russia to group forces together to punch through them, but good in that it's easier for Ukraine forces to group themselves together and form defenses. And as I'm sure you guys have heard, if you've been listening here for a while, you need a lot more troops to attack than defend. So we will have to keep an eye on that and see what the situation in Lysychansk becomes. I would be astonished if Russia really just sprints into the city to try and commit themselves to yet another brutal urban street fighting operation. Otherwise, to the northwest of Kherson, as Ukraine troops increasingly come closer to the city, I suspect we will see Russian forces try and fight them outside the city, but in such point as the Ukrainian troops are able to actually enter into the urban area, I, will, I personally, this is my own speculation, I don't see the Russian troops sticking around in that very non permissive environment where Ukrainian uh, citizens are telegraphing every one of their locations. I see them trying to pull out rather than commit to a long, impassioned urban defense. Uh, let me know if there's any other questions. I'll stick around. Thank you.
Thank you very much for the update language. That's much appreciated. Um, I have two questions for you, and then we will hand it over to members of the audience, hands, etc. First question is, can you repeat the part about the SBU and Kherson and north of Crimea? I, I, I caught about half of that. Sure. So the SBU, Ukrainian Intelligence Service, is the one that's really taking the fall for what happened in Kherson. Early war, uh, Kherson is, was, is really the only major Ukrainian city that had been taken at this point uh, successfully by Russia. And it fell very, very easily, far easier than it should have. There, there was minefields to the south that the Russian forces went around. There was Russian aircraft that managed to pop through Ukrainian air defenses. There was a bridge that was supposed to be blown that wasn't. And the SBU chief uh, in the area basically told his guys to get out of Dodge and uh, didn't leave any battle plans. So a bunch of people were standing around wondering what's going on. And the defenses uh, were either evaporated or killed, those who did choose to try and fight the Russians there. Uh, there's been you know, concerns because the head of the SBU is a, uh, some people say he's a childhood friend of Zelensky. I don't think it goes back that far, but there was a lot of concerns about nepotism and possible corruption when he was appointed. Um, and apparently this SBU chief is just not proven to be a capable wartime leader. So uh, Zelensky is, if I don't think it's happened yet, but the talks that he's to be removed and replaced with somebody more capable uh, because the SBU is such a large force in Ukraine. Uh, 35,000 people for a country the size of Ukraine is, is not an insignificant number, especially in intelligence personnel. And being able to use them in an effective way rather than having a senior commander who's kind of vapor locked right now uh, would be a major boon to the Ukrainian forces. But in Kherson specifically, basically they just left and they didn't give plans on how to defend the city. And then there was also allegations that one of them quite literally basically told the Russians, hey, these are all the safe places to get in. Uh, and then just left. So it's that's why they're the ones taking the fall right now for the fall of Harrison. Uh Thank you very much. And my second question also led to Harrison. Um I'd seen some reporting from ISW that the uh, Ukrainian lodgment on the um, left bank of the Enholets River near Davidov Brid had potentially been pushed back by the Russians. Have you seen any info to confirm or refute that? So you're saying the one on the western side of the Inhalets River? The eastern side, the left bank. Eastern so side. previously so, Russian-occupied Ukrainians crossed the river, set up okay. a lodgment, and then ISW was reporting as of a few days ago, it looked like they had potentially been pushed back across the river. I haven't seen any clear and compelling evidence of that. Uh, we do know that Russian forces have been constantly trying to hit the river crossings um, with varying success. Uh, so I, unfortunately, I just I haven't seen anything to indicate that. Um, I, I really do imagine that Russia would be championing that from the rooftops. Um, I'll take a look at the map real quick and see. It's possible I've missed something. But as far as I understand, while Ukraine troops were able to get across the river, there hasn't been any major, you know, you know, rolling on, you know, Baghdad kind of storming down towards the coast. Uh, they were able to kind of occupy the air around Davidi Breed and then are holding the position, um, as well as now that we have this offensive further southwest towards Kherson proper. That seems to be taking the bulk of the Ukrainian uh, forces that were sitting back in reserves. But I'll have to get back to you on the VD breed specifically. I hadn't seen anything uh, one way or another to indicate that they had been pushed all the way back across the room. 
I believe ISW in the report, they include some notes. Their their info is mainly derived from kind of reading between the lines on some Ukrainian general staff reports. So they have some notes explaining their analysis. If you want to dig into it. Absolutely. Let me go take a look. So there are currently no hands up. If anybody would like to ask a question uh, or Ben, please go ahead. Thanks. Thank you very much for the updates. Um, I'm sorry. Can you dumb it down a little bit? Uh, was it a high intensity day, and um, is it a, as good a day as we could expect in the morning, or are, has there been uh, bad and unexpected news? So it, it's been uh, the highest intensity has been south of Lysychansk, where Russian forces have surged forward across the line as Ukrainian forces uh, withdrew to other defensive positions. Basically, there was a breakthrough right along the river um, a couple days ago. Russian forces stormed up. Ukrainian troops, uh, generally, they don't stick around to wait to get encircled. So there was a uh, mass withdrawal back to more defensible lines, which have kind of restabilized the front lines of the battlefield rather than having these tendrils poking in and out where there's some Russian forces very far behind Ukraine lines. There's some Ukrainian forces very far behind Russian lines. They've been able to stabilize things a little bit at the expense of some territory, which is not great. Um, and there's been increased talk by the Ukraine government about, well, you know, we've done what we need to do in Severodonetsk, so it might be time to pull back to Lysychansk. Because uh, if Lysychansk is being menaced heavily from the south, then trying to conduct this sort of, you know, over-the-river operation into Severodonetsk, which is already tenuous for a variety of reasons, uh, it's going to become even more difficult. Otherwise, the situation remains fairly stable. Um, I am looking at the map now, and yes, there's there's a number of people who are reporting that Ukraine forces have pulled back from Davidi Breed and are on the western side of the river. So it appears that um, John was absolutely right. Thank you for calling me on that, uh, where Ukraine troops, either because they were menaced by artillery or their bridges were destroyed or for some other unknown reason, did pull back west across the river there. But the offensive towards Kherson generally remains ongoing. The biggest question is now that Ukrainian artillery is within range of Kherson, uh, what does this mean for Russian forces there? Uh, as we've seen, whenever Russian artillery gets within range of a city, that's when things start to take a turn for the worse. Uh, we don't expect Ukraine to level their own city to the ground with artillery. But uh, given the fact that there's you know quite a number of Ukraine civilians there walking around with camera phones who can go, oh, hey, remember how there's this rocket artillery system that's been set up in the park for two months? Let me send that over to my cousin who can now shoot it. Um, I can't imagine that the Russian troops are not aware of that fact. And so there may be increased nervousness, increased reshufflings, trying to fight the Ukrainians back there. But in very general terms, pretty stable day. The biggest news is that Ukraine will be given candidate status to join the EU, which is wonderful, and that the U.S. is sending more uh, weaponry, and that Ukraine lost 5 to 10 kilometers of territory across the front line, south of Lysychansk, and that battles continue elsewhere. Uh, language, have you seen the update that uh, Sergei Haide um, posted on his Telegram page about 40 minutes ago regarding Severodonetsk? I had not. I had seen the one where he was talking about, and Sergei Haide is the uh, Luhansk governor, so at this point really uh, just Severodonetsk, but, <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, I, if you don't mind uh, kicking that over to me, I mean, what does he say there? Last I saw he was talking about the possible need to uh, withdraw from both cities because, you know, the mission's been completed. According to him, as of 40 minutes ago, the order to withdraw has been given, or he announced 40 minutes ago that the, that they had been given the order to withdraw from the city. 
did he specify specifically whether that was Severodonetsk or Lysychansk, or is it to Severodonetsk to withdraw okay. from Severodonetsk? Yeah. Cool. Well, there you have it. So. Ukrainian troops, looks like they're going to withdraw across the river, back to the west. Um, the Russian menacing of southern Lysychansk has been somewhat successful on that front. But uh, to this point, I mean, Severodonetsk has been ongoing in one way, shape, or form for, well, about 120 days now, with the active uh, ground invasion taking place over the last month or so. So, you know, we'll, we'll only know later what the uh, total Russian lo- combat losses are there. But now we move into the second phase, where people are fighting out of and now these Russian troops across the river are going to have to make the decision. Do they go for the long way around and come up from the south, or do they try and come across the river and get killed as well? So that is honestly kind of refreshing news because Severodonetsk was starting to get very dicey. So I'm glad that the Ukrainians are uh, – they'd rather trade time, or rather land for time, than uh, blood for time. And I just seen the, uh, the Telegram post language. Luca, uh, your hand is up. Fire away. Hey guys, uh, yeah, I I, I missed uh, most of language update, but uh, my my question was more about um, a video that was posted like recently, where I don't know if you guys seen it. Like, uh, it seems to be a surface-to-air missile from the uh, LDR, anyway, the one of those two republics, and it makes a big turnaround and shoots his own uh, base station, and then everything blows up and then some people uh were saying that they think it's like someone hacked into the system i i don't know if that's true but i i thought it was a, like if it's a fail it's a big epic fail and if it's not just kind of like if you've seen it what's your opinion about it yeah the video in question is in the nest the first one at the top ah perfect yeah any opinion i like that can do that oh we got portland coming up I assume he will answer the question. I wouldn't speculate that the system was hacked. It looks like a just a malfunction of entire system and uh, basically rocket a failure of rocket and it basically went down and you know landed or struck the area close to the launcher. Um, something that happens quite often actually with Soviet slash Russian systems. Um, specifically considering the age of the rockets um, and, well, <laughs> the fact that they were manufactured in Russia. Portland, yeah, that wanna... was my opinion, too. Got it. Thank you. Portland, do you want to comment on this rather amusing weapons malfunction? Yeah, it's pretty, it, it is actually pretty funny. So the, the I'm not 100% convinced that the video was authentic. It might be I'm I'm equivocating on that one. I don't know. I haven't done any analytics myself. However, there are a couple of ways that this can happen, and it has happened before. Um, so that much, at least, um, is plausible. So the the thing about the Tor system is that it is ejected from its launch tube by a compressed gas canister. And then the missile is oriented to the target by the firing of a couple of ducted um, rocket nozzles. Uh, Actually, I think there's eight of them. 
And if one of those nozzles sticks open when it is fired, it continues to turn. Um, now, normally when this happens, it just slams into the ground and um, everybody has a big jolly laugh. Um, but on this particular occasion, it seems to have stuck part way open as the main rocket motor has fired and has continued in to, to make a, a continuous radius turn that has just taken it straight into the side of the launcher. Um, that's that's way one that it can happen. Way two that it can happen is if the initial rocket burn overcorrects and the missile winds up looking down at the ground. This is a fairly stupid pulse Doppler radar and the ground is a very, very big radar return. And it will go, ooh, that's big and round, and, 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 and I, shall, I shall call it ground. I wonder if it wants to be friends with me. Um, so you can either have the radar fail, um, or you can have the rocket nozzle fail. Um, and either way, the results tend to be the same. I've never seen one slam back into the launcher before, so that's a first. Uh, but it's not totally out of the realms of possibility. And what? How how can we tell that it was specifically Tor system? Um, I got Tor system from the shape of the uh, the top of the launching platform, and also from the video description saying that it was a Tor system, and also the fact that it was a soft launch. Um, uh, the missile gets kicked up into the air before its rocket motor starts, which are all consistent with a tour. But to be honest, even if it was a Panzer, um, you know, Panzers have one of the same failure modes, so that that wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, thank you very much for that explanation, Portland. Luca, does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Amazing explanation. Makes sense. Thank you. Uh, Nick, uh, you have a slot. Hey, guys. Uh, um, uh, Luis uh, had his hand up lo much longer than me unless he his answer was just answered. He, he's having technical difficulties. I'm trying to get him back up uh, right now. All right, thanks. Then I will um, uh, ask a pretty stupid question. Um, is it possible that the order... To, by, and by the way, the uh, Severodonetsk uh, withdrawal decision uh, blew up my phone just moments ago um, from the Washington Post. So it's not like just us are uh, uh, paying attention. Even the mainstream um, uh, American uh, press is. But my question was, is it possible um, or, even, or possibly even likely that the order was given... Um, as language was saying that the, the instead of attacking uh, Lysychansk uh, headlong, they might want to do it from uh, from the flanks. And and is it possible that the order to evacuate was given because, you know, just maybe Ukraine has enough uh, new weapon systems in the vicinity to make a flank attack a really risky proposition? That was that was my idle thought. Um, maybe OPSEC should uh, deny any responsible answer. I don't know. I just thought I'd throw it out there. It's entirely possible. Um, the goal was to buy time and bleed out Russian troops, and that's sort of a goal that gets accomplished every day, right? Um, there's no, you know, 
quick and dirty point where they say, oh, well, now we've done it all. Um, it's a constant balance between, well, we're getting, you know, our troops, you know, positions destroyed. Uh, increasingly, in the last 48 hours, Russian troops had moved more of their heavier mortars into the western side, and there was a bunch of videos of them accurately spotting on Ukrainian troops, unfortunately. Um, plus, with this recent advance from the south towards Lysychansk, it would put the folks in Severodonetsk in a more dangerous position because now their supply lines can be hit from both sides. The folks who previously were just worried about artillery coming from one direction, possibly airstrikes, and while they're doing the logistics and other command operations, now they have to worry about some suicidal attempt by Russian troops to run into the southern half of the city. Lysychansk is very defensible, especially against anything coming from Severodonetsk. So outside of some grand sweeping Russian uh, encirclement of Lysychansk, which I don't see happening at this point, the fight continues just in a different area. Uh, in Haida, in Haida's um, telegram post, it says like 90% of the city has been damaged and like 70% of it destroyed beyond rebuilding. So and that's what we've seen from the videos. I mean, the city's gone. The only reason the city mattered was because it mattered to Russia and it was a good opportunity to destroy Russian forces in an area where they don't have the, or they can't leverage their resources to their advantage. So now, you know, we repeat the same cycle on the other side of the river and we see if we, you know, Ukrainian troops can hold out there long enough for the high Mars and other systems to come to bear. Right now, the date that's sort of been floated sometime between mid and late July, we should start to see these long range rocket artillery systems fully trained up on, deployed and ready to go. So, I mean, look, Ukraine bought, what, the better part of a month, a little bit more than that, with Severodonetsk, and the battle started under uh, very poor circumstances because a Russian or Ukraine TDF unit, to be perfectly blunt, shat the bed, and uh, uh, some other more capable combat troops had to run down there and reinforce it, and as a result, a hole opened up near Severodonetsk that started the battle earlier than it should have. As long as something like that doesn't happen again, then we should see a continued, uh, more orderly defense of these cities, especially Lysychansk. Thanks, language. Um, may I recommend that you uh, write a book about your uh, about your chronicling of the campaign to date? It's been remarkable. Thanks. I'll drop down. Language, you can make the uh, the, the Ken Burns documentary uh, about the war. I don't know. I think uh, Ken Burns is a better voice than I do. I will ask, though, while we've got you know, a bit of a dead time here before Luis gets back up, um, if anybody who's listening wants to do a little bit of research and help me out with some stuff. If you can find me the specific Russian units that are northeast of Kharkiv, from Rubizhna, the town, all the way down to Chuhiv, the city, I would be very, very interested. Specifically, I'm looking for the names of the units. I know Jemini of the West has a map. It's from June 10th. Things change. Um, I'd like to know the names of the units in a perfect world, who's commanding them, and if you really want to be a rock star, what kind of long-range weaponry they have. Again, that's the units to the northeast and east of Kharkiv. Uh, asking for a friend. If you guys can get that info to me, my DMs are open. I'll give you an attaboy, attagirl. Luis, you're back? Yes, I'm back. Good morning, guys. Um, I actually wanted to ask language learner, hey, my brother, uh, the same question that um, Luca made. Uh, but it is already answered. But I just got 
breaking news um, here in Germany. Uh, it's seven minutes old um, that the governor of uh, the Luhansk region said he, Hajdaj, um said that uh, Ukrainian troops um, were ordered to retreat from Zverodonetsk. Yes, yes. Um, it seems like that order has been verified. At a much later point where it's no longer relevant, and this isn't me trying to be cryptic, we can talk about how exactly Ukrainian forces uh, were able to fight around and into Zverodonetsk long after the bridges got blown. There's been a lot of really crazy heroic stuff going on. I don't use that word lightly, but um, maybe let's give it a couple weeks until the information is no longer situationally relevant. Um, but yes, that order has gone, has gone across um, to pull back across the river. There's a number of ways that the Ukrainians can do so. And once we see everybody safely encamped on the West, and I'm sure once the news media starts talking to them and reporting on it, then maybe we can discuss it here. But suffice to say that they don't have to swim across. Uh, language, have you, in regard to the question that you asked earlier, we're getting Louise back up. Um, have you seen, I believe, Def Mon? He has a couple of the units. I'm not sure where he sourced them from, so it could just be from Germany of the West, but I believe he does have a couple of units listed in a number of places, including north of Kharkiv. I will reach out to him. Thank you. Louise, please continue. Uh, where did I break up? I think you were talking about the German media reporting on the Ukrainian withdrawal from Sverdonetsk. Yeah. Uh, have you guys already talked about this uh, or not? We discussed it a little bit briefly. Um, John was actually the one who brought it to my attention. So it seems like now it's kind of percolating through the information sphere. But thank you. It's always important. The more data points we have, the more we can prove that this is true. Okay. It's actually quite interesting, the fact that if you look at the European press at the moment, uh, you've got two things. You've got the yes to um, Ukraine's um, uh, candidacy to, to Europe, to the EU. And on the other hand, you've got the loss of Zverodonetsk. And, well, it's it, it's at least interesting that the both uh, information break within hours of one another. So I have a, I have a question to throw out here. So Severodonetsk is the provisional capital of Luhansk Oblast as a result of Luhansk city itself being occupied since 2014 do we think that putin is going to try and declare some sort of you know victory in luhansk oblast or do you think he's going to wait for lissachansk because that's the still since lissachansk is still in luhansk oblast do you think he, he, he's going to try and wait until you know if and when they're able to secure you know that city or do you think he's just going to go okay luhansk is ours now blah 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 you know more dribble yeah, I think uh, Putin's going to take his victory where he can, even if that victory is a rubbleized city. Um, they've been talking about Sverdonetsk for a while. It's been a major political goal. I don't think he's going to wait on uh, principle here, even though you know, the Ukrainians are literally just across the river shooting into it. He's going to say, we've liberated it. It's the new capital of the DPR, LPR, da, 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 whatever. Um, and then, I mean, as far as I can tell, this city's more devastated in a lot of ways than even Mariupol was. Uh, just because it's been shelled for so long. So I think we're going to see a lot of general statements about it, but uh, there's not a tremendous amount of propaganda value in the city because the city's essentially been wiped off the face of the map. I mean, they haven't had water or fuel there for months and months now, not just since this attack began, but months and months going back, there's been no electricity. 
it's it's been a very tenuous situation and there's not a tremendous amount of uh ukraine citizens there thankfully at this point most of them have been able to get out uh they can stick around for the song and dance that russia is going to do with video cameras so if there's nobody there putin will say we've done it we've liberated it from the nazis yada 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 and then what he does with that information further on i've got no idea will he try and freeze the war will he try and do something else i've got no idea and stratina uh, alim i think we have you here as well yes thank you i want to ask why do you think there are scenarios in uh, more and more long-range mlrs's i thought the personally that they will be used against probably hamas and other western uh, mlrs particularly what do you think they are using long range now well it's because we've seen that russian forces in the individual soldier is not willfully stupid right and when they realize that the ukrainians have weaponry that can hit them from further away and more accurately and quicker than they can react to it they try not to use the first weapons right that's why we've seen near popozna much less of russian tube artillery you know the tow artillery because the m777s outrange it and for a while there whenever the russian fired shells off they get blown up so they switched first to what well, we're going to put as much powder in there as possible and run these things on the bleeding edge of effectiveness and there's been at least one case where apparently there was a catastrophic failure another number of cases where the russian artillery guys just said hey we're not using those we're going to use longer range systems that keep us more out of harm's way um so that's probably part of the reason why they're increasingly using rocket artillery I doubt it's because they've run out of regular artillery they have I would I think it's not safe bet to say millions of artillery shells get into the front uh is it more of a logistical problem uh but just utilizing them isn't uh with these long range uh, high mars and stuff coming in I suspect that they've got bigger targets to worry about at least for their first opening salvos than Russian long range artillery rockets I wouldn't be surprised if that's a later target but the big things that these rocket systems can hit are russian command and control points logistical supply hubs uh places that russia has thought were well behind uh you know into safe territory and all of a sudden will not be so after those are smoking and on fire then yes we might see more counter battery fire uh between rocket artillery systems but you know good old usa lockheed martin raytheon uh they make good stuff and it dramatically outclasses in a variety of factors the russian systems most specifically in how quick it can shoot uh and reload whereas russian systems in some cases have to be reloaded manually with people and you know basically <laughs> loading the rocket tubes by hand so i think right now the russians are also realizing that time is running out for their long range rocket artillery superiority and given what happened with their tube artillery once more superior western weapons arrived ie they got destroyed they might just say well shoot let's try and get our licks out now if we can do as much damage as we possibly can within the next month it doesn't really matter what the targets are uh because a month from now the situation will change and we may have to think twice before we pull the trigger this is more speculation thank you my question was uh, why the russian are using now longer range mlrs and example what do i use tornado rather than bm21 i said right Yeah so they've been using them all war uh that specifically isn't new we've seen long range uragan smirch uh rockets throughout the war um so i'm a little confused on the question we may i may just be focusing on it more because 
you know, the BM21s got destroyed. They're close to the front lines. They can be targeted, what have you. But they've been using long-range rocket artillery fire since day one. I mean, we had stuff landing, you know, in Kiev. We had stuff landing in, uh, you know, we had stuff landing all over from quite literally day one of the war when Russia was trying to do these deep strikes. If it wasn't cruise missiles, it was long-range rocket artillery. And they've been shelling into Sloviansk from Izium for months now as well. So that in and of itself isn't new. Um, I think we're just focusing on it a little bit more now. Thank you. Uh, and one last question. Do you think the Russians have something to cut counterbatter the HIMARS or no? Or you don't know? So technically they do. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to try. But again, it, to counterbatter, it doesn't just mean that you can reach out and touch. You have to be able to reach out and touch it in a certain amount of time and do so accurately. And compared to the HIMARS system, which can be called shooting and scooting, where it can fire its missiles and do so in an accurate way and then get the hell out of Dodge pretty quickly, the Russians don't have something to deal with that. Unless they start bringing aircraft to bear, um, you know, airstrikes would do the job, but we haven't really seen Russia committing uh, their air power against specific uh, artillery units as of yet. I, I, they might because these are game changers, but who knows? Uh But it's just it takes a lot longer for the Russian launch artillery that would match the Ukrainian stuff to fire, and they're also not nearly as accurate. So, and if you know, I can pull up, fire a bunch of rockets through your window from 80 kilometers away, and drive off before you can figure out where I am. Then hey, you know, you're not going to be in a good position to wipe it out. I don't think these Ukrainian uh, HIMARS systems are just going to sit in the field and let themselves get destroyed. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Dr. Paul and then to Ben. Thanks, John. And this is a question for both language, you and anybody else can help me answer this. Um, language, uh, I'm looking for a reliable estimate for the average cost of a 155 millimeter artillery shell. Um, the reason being is I'm kind of interested in doing some modeling and calculating the potential capacity of volume of shells that we could supply Ukraine. So, if you could help me on a just a regular generic old 155 millimeter shell that Ukraine would likely be given, it's like 500 bucks, I think. Somebody said, and that's the number that's batting around my mind. The Excaliburs cost a lot. I think they cost like a hundred thousand or something. But the uh, just like regular explosives, I want to say it was like 500 to a thousand dollars. Don't quote me on that. That's just the first one that pops up. Somebody was talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm trying to dig up some numbers right now. I'll let you know if I find anything. Yeah, and the reason this is an issue is because I've come across a lot of variability in my own searches. And so, you know, unfortunately, CJ's not here. Um, in I, language, that's what I recall, 500,000 for just like a standard old, like you know, 155 millimeter shell. Um, we know the Ukrainians are given some of the kind of more premium shells. No idea what the, the mix is and what percentage of total, but... I thanks. That's all. I was just trying to the the numbers on Google don't really add up. I don't have access to like a really high quality defense database to really pull that number. So John, if you can you can just DM it, uh, whatever you happen to come from a reliable source as well, I'd appreciate it. Well, I don't have access to any fantastic military sources either, unfortunately. Um, I'm trying to the two route. If you need specific names. The two relevant projectiles, at least from U.S. service, would be the M107, which was the old 155 millimeter that we used to use 
before it was replaced by the M795, which is what is in current U.S. service for the M777s. So those would be, in, in U.S. service, those would be the two rounds to look into. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Vic, let's go to you. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Language. Thank you for the update. Uh, I have a question with respect to like the new technology, the new uh, higher range artillery uh, that or rocket artillery that Ukraine is, is receiving, and what would be like the impact on, on the ground. Uh, I've seen like one of the video, and again maybe it has been commented on this uh, space, uh, a video from the someone from the Austrian army, and basically uh, he was commenting on all the pieces of uh, uh, arms or. Uh, artillery tanks uh, received by Ukraine, and I think he was kind of putting a, a question mark on what would be the impact on uh, such, like on these systems. Let's say the high Mars or things like this. Okay, Ukraine is going to receive this, and they they are going to use them. But uh, how how impactful would it be? Can they their quantity in comparison to what Ukraine is requesting is quite small, right? And I'm basically questioning again, what, how impactful can they be? Thank, thanks. So the impact is against long-range fixed targets. Um, specifically, it's the fact that they can reach out and touch things very accurately compared to even some of the Smirch and Ergon semi-comparable systems that Ukraine had, which are relatively inaccurate, and the systems the Russians have. So, and we've seen this, especially around Hersan, um name Toronto Biker might mean something to people here. You could, Russia likes to put its troops and command staff closer to the front than NATO armies would. Be, and there's a number of reasons behind it. Bad NCO structure, corruption, lack of trust, yada, yada, yada. However, this means that they are within this now 80-kilometer bubble of where these rockets can strike. And they can do so very accurately. There's something called the circular error probable. Essentially, it means that if you fire these you know, rockets or artillery, that 50% of the rounds will land within X range and then 50% will land outside. I want to say for like these Smirch and Ergon systems, it's like 150 meters, something crazy. It's why Russia uses so many cluster munitions because they know they're not accurate, but this way they can try and hit something, right? The, I want to say the M, or the, um, ooh, so many of them these days, the high Mars has a circular problem of like five to 10 meters, which means that they can put 50% of everything they're firing within that range and it can be devastatingly accurate as a result so it's not that this is necessarily going to certainly wipe out all the russian troops along the front lines frankly that'd probably be a bit of a waste of these munitions but i would expect to keep an eye on volchansk keep an eye on other major logistical and supply hubs uh, especially along the east of volchansk kopyansk areas near hersan near melitopol because now these are all very vulnerable and you can't really pack up and move an ammo warehouse that you've been using for three months. And it's very challenging to convince the generals to pack up and get the hell out of Dodge immediately uh, in a place that they've been encamped for two to three months as well. So we might very well see some heavy losses in those regards, which would very much negatively affect everything closer to the front line. And that's why these are so significant, because they allow for these deep strikes on very important Russian positions. You're talking Thanks. about the Hamars? So they are... I just had a follow-up questions and uh, I'm, I'm done. Um, my question is, um, maybe some, uh, if you can provide some insights with respect to the, let's say the rate of fire. And uh, I mean, how, I mean, it might be a limitation, but the low number of these uh, such systems, but maybe it can be kind of compensated by 
higher rate of fire or i'm not sure like what kind of uh ammo like uh how, how yeah how much ammo do they have uh is this a factor in general or not not really uh, thanks i mean they're effective I, I don't know off the top of my head how quickly they fire like i want to say they fire pretty fast their rocket artillery the big question is how long it takes for them to reload and as i understand it one of the biggest differences with the high mars versus the russian made systems is that for some of the russian made systems they actually have to reload the tubes by hand they have to actually sight them um and whatnot and that takes 30 minutes whereas the high mars i'd have to go look it up i want to say it's like five to ten minutes it, it's much less um that's substantial and then if you know exactly where to place these rockets you don't need a ton of them it'd be great if we sent you know five hundred thousand and we just blank in ukraine just blanketed russian units with fire that's not going to happen but let's not mince our words here nato intelligence is being used to provide uh, information to the ukrainian military and as a result they know exactly where these missiles need to go let's not kid ourselves that it's going to take them you know days to figure out and where should we put it and we don't know i would be astonished if the targets are already aren't marked on a map somewhere and they're just waiting to get the units in position so you can do quite a lot with a little if you're just trying to take out key nodes. Um, that's how shock and all actually works um, as compared to what the Russians tried at the beginning of this invasion. Hey, language, real quick. Earlier tonight, I believe it might've been CJ or someone else. Um, the higher Mars rate of fire is equivalent to an entire battery of Russian rocket artillery. One high Mars, I believe. And John, if you were there, President, please correct me. But I, that was a very poignant point that stuck out in my mind. That uh, what I recollect, it was one high Mars is is effectively the same rate of fire as an entire battery of Russian MLRS, MRLS. Um, what that adds up to, go do your own homework and research of how many rockets that is. But the high Mars is going to be far more accurate, far more impactful. Um, not just on the rate of fire, but also on the accuracy. Yeah, the, the quality versus quantity argument, right? And we're going to see it play out in real time. Uh, Dr. Paul, I just sent you a 41-page like congressional budget breakdown that should hopefully have the per-unit costs of some of those shells in there. Yeah, I'm definitely going to read that tomorrow for sure, and I'll report back whatever the model I come up with is. Uh, and I'll just say, give you a little bit of background. Um, the key thing I'm looking at is Rhine Metal, which is, to my knowledge, the closest major ammunition uh, supplier of 155 millimeter shells, which Ukraine's in desperate need of more supply of. Um, they are able to triple capacity. Um, and the, I, I don't know where the status is. This is, this report was written around June 15th. Um, the, it's a German company, German bureaucracy, German red tape, all that stuff is going to slow things down, um, which is fine, I guess. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, they recently passed the Bundeswehr, uh, passed the hundred billion dollar defense fund recently, which is great, but, actual uh kind of outlines the next steps there to say that you know that's a long way to go until all these kind of pieces of the chessboard get put in place to actually get stuff from germany in a large way into ukraine so germany in my view is kind of like that if we look at a, like a kind of a, a ramp up in capacity and supplies germany's gonna come in towards the middle of this conflict not the onset like the us and the uk but nonetheless, it could be substantial. So what I'm trying to figure it out is 
how substantial that is. So, John, I will read it and I'll let you know what I find out tomorrow. That's going to be very interesting. Um, actually, I'd love to to, uh, to learn about it as well. Um, Vic, did you did you have another question for for language? Um, Dr. Paul, do you have another question that you want to ask? I do. You know, um, I was shocked, stunned, uh, jaw dropped that the at the uh, defense. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's the Ministry of Defense or Defense uh, Department of Defense of Ukraine announcing the arrival of HIMARS. Now, in my mind, there's no realistic reason of why they would actually announce this publicly as such. I was curious if language had a hypothesis as to why that might be and what his thoughts were of why that they would announce such a strategic asset being in theater. In my mind, it's uh, some sort of ruse of some sort uh, in some way, not sure, but it's curious what language has to say about it. I don't know exactly why they would. I'd have to look at the exact text. Um, frankly, as far as I understand, I mean, there's a lot, certainly a lot of, as I understand it, uh, a number of Ukrainian units were still getting trained up on them. Like they don't have them trained and deployed en masse if they have them in country at this point. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to just roll one out and fire that and, you know, kind of shoot your shot early because the, the Russians will adapt, right? So it's, uh, maybe it's just for domestic propaganda purposes. Maybe it's just, you know, tell Russia, hey, you know, we're getting real close to be able to hit you and try and goad Russia into acting from a sense of fear and passion. So that way they say, oh, well, you know, they're almost here. We have to do everything we can now. And they start making mistakes. I'm sure smarter minds than I can figure out, you know, game theory that. But I personally wouldn't understand it. Like, I was fully expecting to only know that these things were in country when Volchansk and Kopiansk lit up in balls of flame. Exactly. I mean, nailed it on the head. That's exactly what I was expecting is we wouldn't know by the destruction of some key strategic area effectively. You know, it was interesting. It was almost like the uh, Ukrainian Ministry of Defense was taunting Russia that it was going to be a hot summer, perhaps the last summer for some Russians with the high Mars, thanking the secretary of defense of the United States for the arrival of high Mars. I personally think they've been there for a week. Um, you know, a week or two ago, they were the first grads of their, uh, high yeah. being completed. Um, not sure exact timeline, but it, you know, they, they should be there most likely, but yeah, I agree with what you said. I was expecting it to be kept quiet in the arrival or the break of the news that they were there would be the destruction of Kupiansk and Vovchansk and major supply depots or otherwise there. So thanks, Language. Thank you. Language, do you still have like two minutes? Sure, go ahead. Before you turn into a grizzly bear or something. Um, do, do, you, do you keep good track of uh, the, the things going kaboom in Russia? Or not, because um, I'm looking at an Italian newspaper and they're talking about, um, find it, they are talking about an explosion in, yes, in uh, Sverdlovsk. And I was wondering if that's the same as the one caused by the drone or not. So the one that was caused by the drones were in the Rostov region. And I don't think it's the name of the place that you mentioned. That's still a huge question mark, exactly what the hell happened. I mean, we have video footage of what appears to be like these sort of Chinese-made, commercially available drones retrofitted into very much something else that flew into uh, a, you know, a, a refinery near the border, right? Um, 
But beyond that, it's a little very group large questions. How they get there? How do the Russian air defenses fail? You know what's going on, and nobody really is talking about that. Um, there's also been another number of fires. Uh, reportedly, a Russian military transport plane crashed and blew up uh, 